before we begin, just a reminder to you that when we open God's Word and as we begin to uh, understand what's in it, this is a chance that you get to uh, focus in on what God is saying. Um, Sure, I've studied and prepared and I get to say it to you, but truly what we're discussing here are God's words spoken to you. And so uh, one encouragement from me to you is not only to pay attention, but limit your own distractions. Uh, Try your very best to be of blessing, uh, not only to your own soul as you listen, but also to the people around you. And so with that, let's turn to God's word and let's hear what it says, beginning in John 5, verse 30. Jesus says, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and, I my, and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a little while in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, they bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen. And you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people. But I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another? And do not seek the glory that comes from the only God. Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? It's the word of the living God. Pray with me as we begin to unpack it together. Father, thank you for your truth. Even now as we behold uh, the many witnesses that stand before us to declare to us the reality that Jesus is from the Father, that Jesus is one with the Father, that Jesus is the only hope we have, that every testimony before him has attested to the fact that he alone is the Savior of the world. Help us now to cling to these truths and in light of them learn and be encouraged and to grow. And maybe even for some here to believe for the first time, to place their faith in a God who can save and a God who's made himself known through his Son. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. What we have before us this morning is an opportunity to see more evidences of the reality that John has been laying out for us throughout his gospel. Throughout the gospel of John, the focus has been leading to 
this idea where Jesus is finally asserting the realities that we have seen. We've seen his power. We've seen his wisdom. We've seen his kindness. But now we hear from Jesus himself that he is sent from the Father. He is the Son of God. And there are many different things that testify to that reality. The authority of the Son belongs to him because his Father has sent him. And now he wants to make that even more clear to us by means of showing us a set of witnesses that testify to the reality of who he is. I think you guys are very familiar with this idea of what a witness is. And maybe you remember, anybody ever watched Monsters, Inc.? It's one of my favorite movies of all time. Uh, Monsters, Inc., it's one of my favorite scenes is in the very beginning when Boo is let out on the town and the townspeople don't understand what's happening and they're frantic and they're scared, funny enough, because they're monsters. But uh, they start the news reporting thing and then there's the one monster with a million eyes and someone's like, he shot right over me with laser vision and he's like, it's true, I saw the whole thing. Not true. You didn't see anything. None of that actually happened. The kid didn't have laser beam vision and wasn't blowing up the town. She was just crying. But I think there's testimonies, there's witnesses like that that I think we can all understand come from a place of uh, craziness or maybe hysteria, panic mode. And in those situations, witnesses aren't very reliable. When things are topsy-turvy, it's tough to believe what's true. And I think to some extent we have that here. This Jesus is so unlike what the Jews would have expected. He's so unordinary in some ways, though as man, he's very ordinary like the rest of them. And so in the midst of their hysteria, they're looking for a credible witness. Who can testify to the reality that this Jesus is true? And so what we have before us, the way that John puts it together, it actually mimics a little bit of a, of a courtroom scene. It's as if though Jesus is being asked, who are you? And who can, who can verify who you are? And in this courtroom scenario, Jesus brings about a set of witnesses to testify on his behalf. It's important that Jesus does this. And we see him doing this in the very beginning of this text. Look at verse 30. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. What an interesting thing for Jesus to say. If you're a Christian or if you've heard a lot about Jesus, I think to some extent you would sit in a room like this and hear uh, the words of Jesus and go, we should just believe Jesus because he's Jesus. How fascinating that Jesus says, if you were only to hear it from me, that wouldn't be enough. I want you to hear it from others. There's several others who can bear testimony to the very thing I'm declaring to you. In fact, he begins the basis of this argument and introduces us now to four witnesses who will testify to the reality that he is Lord on the basis of his unity with the Father. In other words, because Jesus has come from God, Jesus has witnesses that also come from God to bear forth to you the truth about who he is. The witnesses in this passage, they make it abundantly clear that Jesus is Lord. And that then calls for a response from you. 
Now, I want you to know, before we discuss these four separate witnesses that Jesus declares to us here, I want you to know who Jesus is talking to here. He's still in conversation with people who are opposed to him. And this is something that's natural to all the gospel accounts. In all of them, you have this uh, teasing out this narrative that works this way. Jesus begins to talk about who he is. Jesus begins to declare that he's the son of God. He begins to declare that he's come to save. He's become to declare that he's here to purify the people and to bring them back to the father. And people get mad at him. People become opposed to him. And we've entered into that section of the gospel of Job, of, of John Job. I have a job, and it's to preach John. So we've entered into that portion of the gospel of John. There is opposition to Jesus. There is rejection of Jesus. There is nothing. There is a, a group of people that really seem to now want nothing to do with him. Not because he's compassionate. They love that. Not because he's generous. They love that. Not because he can heal, they love that. And in just a minute, he's going to feed over 5,000 people and they will love that too. What is it that they hate? They hate that Jesus is honest with them. Not only kind, but truthful. That Jesus declares he is the son of God. And if they are to have any hope at all, it will be believing him. Trusting him. Knowing that what he says is true. That when he says he's holy and perfect, that he's blameless and he's come as the son of God, that is true. When he says that he came to save sinners like you and me, that means we are in a position of great need before him and that is true. When he says that anyone who comes to him might have everlasting life and not perish, that is true. And he's about to give these four witnesses that testify to that reality. And this group of people will still not believe. Something very important in that for all of us, and it's this. Unbelief has nothing to do with the evidence about Jesus. Unbelief has nothing to do with the evidence that exists about Jesus. Jesus lays it out very clearly here for us. And he's done it time and time again. He did so at a wedding. He did so with an official's son. He did so at a well, helping this woman who didn't realize the person in front of her was the Messiah and went into the town and told everyone he's finally come. And now he's speaking words that he speaks under the authority of the Father to declare unto anyone that would hear him that he's the Son of God. And the reason people don't believe isn't because there isn't enough evidence. It's because when people love themselves and they love their sin and they love their system, they don't care what Jesus has to say. And insofar as that's true of you, if you're in this room and you don't believe in Jesus, Let me tell you, it isn't that there isn't enough evidence. No one's arguing anymore about whether or not Jesus was a real person. Everyone agrees he was real. And in fact, the testimony we have before us here, the Bible, the Gospels in particular, they're eyewitnesses account. They're written to you on behalf of people who saw Jesus, his ministry, his miracles, his words, and his works. And they're telling you, this is what we saw. No one can refute it. The evidence is not the issue. It's the heart. 
This passage is written to us so that we might believe that Jesus is the Son of God and so that we might know that to not believe these witnesses is to trust in ourselves. It's to say that we know better than God. If we don't take Jesus at his words, we're simply saying, God, I know better than you. I'm fine on my own. I don't need this kind of Jesus. I'm not as sinful as you might think, God. I can make a way for myself. Jesus seems like a sweet person, but I don't need him. And to say that places you in a position of finding yourself, as the end of our last sermon talked about, to be the kind of person that when they're resurrected is resurrected to judgment. God will judge all of us on the basis of one thing. What did you do with my son? Did you believe him? Did you trust him? Did you love him? Did you devote your life to him? Because all those who do will be welcomed into God's kingdom. And all those who rejected him will perish eternally. Four witnesses this morning so that you might believe that Jesus is the son of God and have life in his name. Four witnesses and number one that Jesus uses here for us is John the Baptist. Number one is John the Baptist. Read in verse 32. There is another who bears witness about me. And I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John the Baptist, and he has borne witness to the truth. Jesus, again, very clearly states, I'm not just going to testify to myself. Anyone that just comes to you and starts bragging about all the things they are, all the things they can do, sometimes you want verification of that kind of thing, and so Jesus doesn't want to do that. Uh, you know, Josh Smith knows this because he's a golfer. Every golfer's best round of golf is when they play on their own. Whenever I play on my own, I have my best score. And then as immediately when I play with other people, all of a sudden I stink again. Why? Because my score maybe was a little bit made up. I was very gracious with myself. I told myself I was better than I was. But now when people witness the way I play golf, they see that I'm not good at it. Jesus has the opposite situation. Jesus' testimony of himself is true. Jesus' testimony of himself is pure. It's 100% accurate. And yet Jesus himself doesn't leave it up to his own testimony of himself. He brings in this set of witnesses, the first of which is John. And we've heard John's testimony. Look back with me at John chapter 1. We see in the beginning, John 1 verse 6 There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He wasn't the light, but came to bear witness about the light. What is his testimony? Well, he tells us very clearly later on, verse 23, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. John came to pave a path to Jesus. If you ask John what his life was about, he would say, go to Jesus. And he makes that clear for us even in verse 29 of chapter 1. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. 
This is John's ministry. If you want a testimony of the reality of who Jesus is, listen to John. There had been no prophet, no voice for God in the land of Israel for over 400 years. No one to tell the people what God was thinking, what God was doing, what God was planning. And Jesus says, but now you have him. His name is John. And he came to testify not about himself, but about me. Testimony he bears about me is true. You know that the Jewish leaders even go to John at one point, And they have a conversation with him. And they're debating with him. And notice, Jesus makes it out like they kind of like John for a little bit. Only they didn't like John when John talked about Jesus. Did you notice that? Look at verse 34. Not that the testimony I receive is from man. I say these things so you might be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. They rejoiced for a bit in John's ministry. All of a sudden, someone's on the scene speaking for God. We like that. All of a sudden, someone's on the scene helping the people be purified and to walk with God. We like that. It's a little weird that he's baptizing Jews because Jews don't need baptism. God's already chosen them and made a covenant with them, but that's okay. What he's doing seems to be from God. Where does everything go wrong? As soon as John says, believe in Jesus. Jesus is the issue all along. And Jesus is making it clear to them that John's testimony is true. And this so that what? So that they might be saved. That's news to someone living in Israel. That's news to a Jew. In their minds, they're already saved. God already loves them. God's already taking care of them. God will not let them go. Little do they realize that as Romans says, a Jew is not one outwardly, but one inwardly. Someone who has a new heart and a new life, someone who's been born again. This is what John's testimony was about. Notice how it describes him in verse 35. He was a burning and shining lamp. It's John intentionally showing you that John the writer intentionally showing you that John the Baptist, though he shone a a kind of light, he was not the light, just as John 1 said. He is a lamp. He was showing the direction, the path that everyone was to walk in, and it wasn't toward himself. It was toward Jesus. John the Baptist came to testify about Christ, And he came to remind people that we are sinful and we need cleansing and that will only happen as we look to Jesus. If you have sins and struggles, if in your life you recognize there are things that are still offensive to God, that go against God's character and his goodness, that go against God's law and his wisdom, those things can only be cleansed by the one whom John testified about, Jesus. John the Baptist is the first witness that Jesus points to. Secondly here, look with me, John uh, the writer now tells us that Jesus declares another witness, another testimony, and he says in verse 36, the testimony I have is greater than that of John. 
So there's levels to this. John the Baptist came to witness to Jesus, and you can believe him. And now, Jesus says, I have a testimony that's greater than even that. And secondly, what we have are the works of Jesus. The works of Jesus. Notice how he ends verse 36. For the works the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. So you don't believe John the Baptist's testimony. Okay, well then there's more for you to believe in. Who else do you know in town who makes grape juice at the snap of a thumb? Who else do you know in town that walks into someone's home and and can heal someone, or maybe better yet, while he's still a far way off from a home, can say, your son will live, and as soon as you go back, your son is alive and well? Who else do you know that in a few moments here can take a, a few loaves of bread and a few fish and turn them into the kind of sustenance that will feed thousands of people? Who else do you know that can walk on water? Who else do you know that can show up to a funeral and four days after someone has died can tell someone, come out? Who else do you know can hang on a cross, be brought down, placed into a grave, and rise up on a third day? You don't believe. Then you don't take his work seriously. His works are irrefutable. His works are undeniable. His power consistently on display in this gospel. You don't believe what John has to say? Believe what Jesus is doing. You don't think that John the Baptist is telling you the truth, even though he is? Believe the things that you see and hear of Jesus. The funny thing is, no one at the time refuted anything that Jesus did, because they loved it. The issue is they didn't just want that kind of Jesus, the kind that Jesus is. They love the miracle kind of Jesus, but they don't love the truthful Jesus, a Jesus who is open and honest about sin and salvation, a Jesus who's open and honest about heaven and hell. But friends, all of his works are a testimony to the mighty power that he has to save. You want a witness to the fact that this is the Son of God? Look at the works that he is doing. These are works that the Father has given him to accomplish. They're the works that he's doing, and they bear witness to what? The fact that the Father has sent him. Witness number two, the works of Jesus. Number three, look at verse 37. Number three, the witness of the Father. The witness of the Father. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you've never heard. His form you've never seen. And you do not know his word abiding in you, or you don't have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. Now, this one gets a little bit interesting. Some think that in the Father bearing witness to the Son, what it's talking about here is Scripture, but it can't be that, and I don't believe it's that because we are going to get there and we're not there yet. The Father bearing testimony and witness about the Son, the one whose voice you've never heard and whose form you've never seen, I, I think this is simply telling us about the Father's general revelation. And I think you know the difference between general and special revelation, maybe, yes, no, but that's my 
job is to tell you what those things are, so let's do it. On the one hand, you have general revelation. And this is the things that God has done to show you his power and his might and his glory and so that you would leave without question that he is the God of the universe. In the category of general revelations are things like giraffes and clouds and even the platypus. It's one of my favorite creatures. And if you're wondering why, it's because they're poisonous. They have venom. You didn't know that, did you? There's trees, there's the grass of the fields, there's the birds of the heavens, there's everything that's around you, the person sitting to your right and to your left, in front of you with a bald head and behind you without a bald head. Those people, all the girls were like, what? Uh, those people around you are a testimony to God's revelation to you, making himself known. God has revealed himself through his creation. You can read Romans 1 that makes this clear. That's why Romans 1 says, there is no one who will be with an excuse. There is no excuse for denying God because his power is evident to everyone. And all that power does is also lead us to this point here. All of God's creation and all of God's maneuvering in history all of God's working throughout the contours of redemptive history have led to this moment with Jesus speaking this, these words. God's revealed truth is that ultimately we would need his son. What God has always been working toward from the moment that he fashioned the heavens and the earth from the moment that he declared that this people would belong to him, this nation called Israel, from the moment he delivered them out of Egypt, from the moment he gave them a land to belong to them, from the moment that the nations would attack them and accuse them, from the moment that there was no longer a voice amongst the people for God, all these things working toward Jesus. The Father has orchestrated all of human history for this moment, testifying to our need of Christ, testifying to the validity that Jesus is truly his son, that the world as broken as it is, the world as needy as it is, the world as loveless as it is, the world as graceless as it is, all of it is pointing to the greatest need we have Jesus, the Son of God, the one in whom there is life. And how do we know this? Because though there's general revelation, there is also this special revelation, and it leads us to this fourth witness about Christ, the writings of Scripture. The writings of Scripture. God has revealed himself in his power, in his sovereignty, in the way that he's orchestrated all of history, determining it to purpose to this moment here, to Jesus declaring his truth to you. But notice, God is not some kind of vague, mysterious, hidden God. He's not giving you mixed signals. He's not trying to veil to you what his purposes are. He isn't cruel in that way. He doesn't leave you on earth to wonder what it is that he desires from you. He doesn't just make you so that you can try to figure out what it is that pleases him. 
No, God has been so abundantly clear because as he reveals himself in a general way, he also reveals himself through the scriptures. In other words, as God has revealed himself through his power, he also reveals himself through his word. He speaks. He is clear. He's communicative. He declares. He proclaims. And this is the fourth witness that John uses to show you that Jesus is the Son of God. Look at verse 39. You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. That is a powerful verse for all of us to hear. It does not mean that Jesus is negating the authority of Scripture. It doesn't mean that Jesus is saying your Bible doesn't matter. It isn't Jesus saying that you shouldn't care about your Bible or that you shouldn't search the Scriptures or that in them there is nothing of value to you. It is Jesus making the Scriptures all clearer to you. What is the Scripture for? It isn't simply just to know things about God. It is all pointing us to our need for Jesus. That when we read our Bible and know our scripture, our intention isn't simply to have words in our head or knowledge that fills our hearts, but that our our affections would be moved to know Christ. What use is it to read your Bible And to know so much about God, but never believe in Jesus, it won't do you any good. And some of you are in a position like that. Your Bible is marked up and down, but your love for Jesus is not existent. Friends, a Bible that has a lot of highlighting doesn't get you a ticket into Jesus' kingdom. Do you know that? A Bible that's pages flip back and forth on a Sunday sermon that doesn't get you into the kingdom of heaven. What gets you into the kingdom is when you understand that these words are about a particular person, Jesus. It's moving you to believe that throughout history, what God has been doing is seeking to save his people through the gracious work of his son. It's why when Jesus raises again from the dead, you would remember he's on the road to Emmaus with a few disciples and they're grieving that Jesus has passed away. And Jesus says to them, unbeknownst to them that it's Jesus, he he shows them through the scriptures how everything pointed back to Jesus being the Savior. Friends, love your Bible. But love your Bible because it causes you to love Jesus. Love your Bible because it makes it clear to you your sinfulness, your neediness, and his greatness and his power to save. Love your Bible because when God could have kept silent about your sin and when God could have been kept silent about the consequences and the punishment of your sin, and when God would have been right to do to you what he would be willing to do, For the sake of justice, God instead spoke to the point of saving through his son. God is so kind that he did not 
peel back from us, but he made himself known to us. And not only that, but John 1 tells us this, that what Jesus is declaring to this group of people here is that you have never known God and you don't truly know God because you don't truly know me. It's what Jesus tells us in John 1.18. No one's ever seen the God, the only God who's at the Father's side, but He has made Him known. This is the doorway to heaven. This is the way to be saved. This is why it matters so much that you take Jesus seriously. Because otherwise there is no way to be right with God. There is no way to truly know God apart from Jesus. This group here refused. And it leads us to our conclusion here. Notice verse 40. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. The evidence is before these people, and they continue to refuse it. I don't receive glory from people, verse 41, verse 42, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you don't receive me. If another comes in his own name, you'll receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another? And do not seek the glory that comes from the only God. Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? The men and women of this time were accused not by Jesus's words, and it's reminiscent to what God said or Jesus said in John chapter 3, that those who don't believe him are are condemned, and and not because he condemns them, but because they're condemned already. And, And what's the great reason for that? For these individuals here, it's that these folks desire to hold on to their religion way more than they desire to listen to God speaking through his son. They'd rather have the law than to have God's love. They'd rather have more rules than to have God's righteousness. They'd rather keep trying than to receive the free gift of grace that God has offered them. And so Jesus makes it clear to them, if that's what you want to do, don't worry, I'm not going to condemn you, but the one who will condemn you is the same one you're following. Moses will. And that must have hit them as a shock. How is it that Moses will condemn them? We're doing what Moses said. We're living by Moses' rules. We're following Moses' commands. We're doing everything according to Moses, and Moses is leading us to God. Verse 46 is important. If you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? They miss the fact that in Deuteronomy 18, verse 15. Moses wrote of one who would come, a prophet who would rescue his people. They forget about the reality that Moses, the author of Genesis, also talked about one who would come and deliver God's people. He would crush the head of a serpent. They forgot that 
The Old Testament wasn't just great stories about how God has delivered his people, but great testimonies about how God has yet to deliver his people. That the prophets and the law have all pointed to a a rescuer who would come, and now he's here. So it turns out what these people are is they're selective of hearing. They take the things from Moses that they want, and they leave out the things they don't desire. They take from the scriptures the, think they, the things that they think are okay and the things that make them happy and they leave out the things that make them uncomfortable. Or they take from God's word the things they understand and the things they don't understand, they never seek to understand. That was a Jewish problem, but it sounds a lot like some of our problem, isn't it? That when we read God's word, we ought not to question what it's pointing us to. All of it is pointing back to the redemptive work of God through his son. And what it's done for us is it's left us without a shadow of a doubt that Jesus is the savior. And it's left people without an excuse for their unbelief. Friends, as we go from here, I want you to go with this in mind. Number one, if you're here and you have yet to believe in Jesus as your savior, You don't need more evidence from Jesus. He has you sitting in this room right now. He woke you up this morning. He's allowing you to hear these words. He's allowed you to have an open Bible before you. You can read all about what Jesus has done through his scriptures. And you can know with full confidence that all of this is true. The reason you don't believe, it's not because God hasn't given you the evidence. The reason you don't believe It's because you don't know the love of God. You don't take his word seriously. You don't take your sin seriously. And you would rather live for yourself than to give in to God's plan for you through his son. Unbelief is not the markings of a lack of evidence. It is the marking of a lack of faith. You rather trust yourself then trust God at his word. Friends, others of you, those of you who do believe, I want you to go with this. From here, you will go into a world that is very unbelieving. And I want you to understand your obligation is not to convince everyone about every little thing that Jesus has done. Your obligation is to make it known that Jesus came to save sinners and to watch as Jesus saves sinners. Are there times where we can lend ourselves up for a a debate on things that we know to be true with others who maybe oppose our position? Sure. But evangelism and witnessing to people who need the gospel is far more than simply debating whether this is true or that is true. It's whether Jesus is a savior or not. It's whether you have sin that needs to be paid for or not. It's whether God will judge the universe for all of its actions and all of its deeds and all of its thoughts and all of its words or not. It's is God righteous or not? And does God save or not? And how does he purpose to do that? Our job and our mission is to declare to the world that Jesus is Lord. All will see it one day. But while it's today, 
May we see it through the loving and gracious and compassionate arms of Christ that are able to save. And if you're a believer in this room, would you go with boldness, declaring to others the good news of the gospel, that this Jesus, who is the Son of God, that nothing can question it, nothing can deny it, there is no amount of evidence against it that can make that a non-reality, that this Jesus gave his life for sinners, so that all who believe in him would have life in his name. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for your truth. Thank you that you have made yourself known and this abundantly clear to us. There is no reason to doubt what is true of you. And this is that you sent your son to save sinners and all who believe in him will have that promise granted because Jesus is truly your son. He is truly the lamb of God who has come to take the sins of the world. Help us to be bold in the proclamation of the gospel. Help us to be honest with ourselves in our hearts about where we lie before you. If anyone in this room has not believed in you, I pray that you would help them to see in their hearts that it is not for a lack of evidence, but it's a lack of faith. It is a love for self and a hatred toward God. It is a choosing to live by one's own standards rather than God's standards. And it is a choice to abide in one's own strength than the strength of God that is powerful to save. Help those in this room who do not believe to see their need of you and to run to Jesus. And help us, to, help us who do love you and know you to be bold with the gospel, making it known to the ends of the earth that Jesus is Lord. Pray this in your name. Amen.